morning, ACF. I am Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you are here today, I want to welcome you and say we are so glad that you are here. If you're new, it's your first time, uh, you are stepping into the end, the fourth week of a series on uh, being a servant called Cherry Bomb. And like a cherry bomb, I'm going to look at that video thinking of my childhood. I had two brothers. Uh, we blew lots of stuff up. Uh, maybe you did too. Uh, if you didn't, maybe you should. But uh, a cherry bomb is a small little explosive that can have a major impact on the things around it. Uh, and the same is true when we get uh, the, the little truths of God on being a servant. Uh, we can have a huge impact on the community and the world around us. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about something I found in my backyard. That cherry bomb's following me. Um, I found this. Yeah, yellow leaf. Yeah, don't, don't rough me up afterwards behind the church. Uh, but we are here to speak truth, and i got to tell you something. Summer is coming to a close. Fall is here, as this guy and about 2,000 of his closest buddies will attest to in my backyard. They are everywhere. Even the green ones are jumping ship. So um, some of the fireweed decided this year to come up, not bloom, and just die. So I think it's like, oh, boy, it sees the signs. It's done. So as I thought about that, though, I thought about last winter, and I thought about what I was doing. I was looking forward to summer and all the stuff I was going to get done. I wanted to go camping and fishing. You know, I made lists. I wanted to get the, the fascia board painted on my house and the railings on the deck in the backyard. Uh, I got benches around a fire pit that def desperately need a, a ceiling and a refinish. Uh, I got other trips I wanted to do and uh, I got to get the garage cleaned out because uh, my wife's car's got to get in there and I had it in there last winter and then I pulled it out and I don't know what happened but the junk multiplied and now it's got to be de-junkified, and it's a big project. I, I spent all day yesterday trying to work on it, and it doesn't look any better, but it's, it's going to get there. But what I realized when I saw the leaves in my backyard was that time is limited. Like, I don't have a lot of time left to get a lot of those things done. I've been, you know, playing and enjoying and fishing and hunting and, and just exploring Alaska, and then kind of kept thinking I had more time, right? And then now I realize I don't have unlimited time, and so I get super serious uh, about it. So what I find myself doing this last week is reprioritizing all of the things I have to get done before who knows when it's going to snow. Uh, and so limited time really drives me a little bit on that. Um, Alaskan summers can do that. Have you guys ever been up to Town Square Park or maybe any park where kids play? Maybe you got kids and you go up there. I go up there all the time. I got five little girls and so I go up there and watch kids play. Uh, sometimes the kids want me to go do jungle gyms and stuff and that's a, a really interesting experience. But um, maybe you were a kid and you can remember back being at the playground. Well, what I noticed this last week being there was I was sitting there with other parents around and uh, when our kids, we were ready to go, I called my kids over and I said, hey, we're going to leave in five minutes. And, you know, they, they of course, yes, dad, that's awesome. They, they threw a tantrum first, I'll be honest. They, I got one kid literally like rolling on the ground like a worm, um, begging me to change my mind. But I, I reiterated, five minutes, you got five minutes left, we've been here a long time. Um, and so once they realized that that was legit, like there was only going to be five minutes left of awesomeness in life, they went and got serious about playing on the play equipment, right? Because they were before, I got one kid over there like, you know, trying to find flowers in the ground and another kid just kind of watching other kids play. Not really serious, maybe they're dabbling a little bit on the play equipment, but I guarantee in that last five minutes what I saw was, it was incredible. Like they were all about their favorite piece of equipment. I got one kid who is a swinger, my my. That sounded horrible. Three. <laughs> I have one kid who really likes to swing on the swings. The three-year-old. I'm going to get fired when Brian gets back. Um, 
she loves that. So she went, after that five-minute warning, she is all about swinging. And then, I just can't even say that anymore. <laughs> the straight face. All right, so now, I, I got another kid who likes, there's, I don't know if you've been to Town Square Park here in Eagle River, they got the, the little platform thing you stand on, it's got the wiggly pole, and you hold on to it, and it spins you at like 5,000 RPMs. Um, and my kids love it. One of my kids loves it. So she goes and does that. Another kid does the monkey bar thing, and they're just all about that. Now, another slider. She loves to slide. Um, so a time limit kind of drives us in that. And I, then I started thinking back to college. Uh, I took a class, behavioral psychology, and at the beginning of the semester, the professor handed out a syllabus. And that's a great cheat sheet that tells you everything that's due, when it's due, and then it has pages that explain, like, all your major assignments. And there was, I, I vaguely remember seeing it on the page, although I quickly forgot about it, there was a huge semester-long project that was due the last day of class, and it counted for a majority of your grades. So if you didn't do well on it, you didn't do well in the class. It was pretty much you did great on that, you did okay on the class. The day before the, the last day of class, I went in, and I remember the teacher saying, and don't forget to turn in your assignments tomorrow, your, your semester-long projects. At which case, I had a, kind of a little panic attack, and then I realized I had to spend the next 24 hours doing nothing but that assignment. I got it turned in and I passed the class, did well, um, just because I'm awesome, <laughs> because the teacher was gracious, I'm sure, but I got it done, and I was, like, I didn't do anything, I felt like I didn't, I probably did, but I didn't eat, didn't sleep, nothing, I was, like, up till all hours of the night, you know, formatting this thing, making it as best, uh, as good as I could uh, in the time limit that I had, but I got super laser focused, um, and it got me also thinking about Steve Jobs who started, co-founded Apple Computer back in 1976. Uh, in 2003, uh, if you remember, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And in 2005, he was a keynote speaker at Stanford University, a commencement address. And he, this is a quote that I stole from him that kind of speaks to something I want to talk about a little bit today. Uh, and this is what he said. It, I think it should be on the screen. It says, when I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it were your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. It made an impression on me, and since then, uh, and since then, for the past 33 years, I have looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the, is the most important tool I have ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. All these things for me really drive a, a single point home. And it, it, it's, it's a focus of our passage today, and it's limited time narrows our focus. Limited time narrows our focus. When we have limited time, we get serious about what's important to us. You know, as a parent of, of five little girls, um, I asked them to clean their room. And maybe you have the similar experience if you're a parent or maybe you were a kid and you had your parents ask you to clean your room. So for our kids, um, it used to work. It doesn't work anymore. You say, hey, go clean your room. You know, it's a mess. It's always a mess. But go clean your room. My kids, I don't know about yours. Maybe mine are just broken. They don't jump too. They just continue doing whatever it was I w they were doing when I asked them, go clean your room. So then I, I upped the ante, um, a little bit more um, intense. I said, go clean your room, or I'm going to go get a big, giant, hefty bag, and I'm going to collect all your toys on the ground, and I'm going to give them to kids who care. Um, and after the tears and stuff, they've, that used to work. Now it doesn't work anymore. They don't even move. 
So then I had to add, go clean your room, or I'm going to get a big hefty bag, I'm going to keep all the toys on your floor in 10 minutes. I give them a time limit, and now they, they hop too. They go get it, and they know I'm serious um, sometimes. And it, if you really want to, like, guarantee that your kids are going to spend years in counseling, while they're doing that, go outside the hallway with the hefty bag and just shake it occasionally. <laughs> the tears, I'm sure, are tears of joy. Today we're going to look at 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Um, and if you have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and open to that. If you have the ACF app, you can pull it up through that. Uh, it's going to be on the screen behind me as well. If you don't have a Bible and uh, you want one, like to take home for yours, uh, find one around you, uh, not your neighbors, but find one on the, b below the seats in front of you, and you can take that Bible home. Uh, we want you to have that. It's our gift from us to you. You're not stealing it. Um, but out of respect for God's word, if you would stand, and I'll read this as you follow along, if you would. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you guys. Have a seat. I don't know what you think about when you hear the end of all things is near. But what I picture is like in a, a gloom and doom, like end of the world um, movie. A, Times Square, New York, some guy in an A-frame that says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the end is near. And I think of like a real heavy, stern warning, and some, maybe like some craziness or whatever, but Peter starts out this passage with that same warning. The end is near, so there's, there's some important things that you need to be about. There's some things that you need to pay attention to. Um, and I think that in our lives, we can respond one of three ways to that kind of a warning. Like, time is limited. And the first way we can respond, we can kind of go to the YOLO lifestyle. You only live once, I'm going to be irresponsible, I'm just going to pursue everything for me. It's all about as much, as, I can enjoy, as much joy as I can squeeze out of life for me. The second way we can respond is we can pursue things that really matter. We can focus our attention on wise choices that benefit us and the people around us. And the third way is really just to pretend that there's no time limit whatsoever. We just kind of ignore that warning and move on in life and just continue going on life, business, as usual. So Peter's encouraging us to pursue things that matter. He's encouraging us to take the second choice, right? So what really matters? And I want to look at that this, uh, today, this morning, as in this passage. And there's four things that I see that really matter uh, that this passage points out. And the first one, prayer allows us to align our purpose with God's purpose. Prayer allows us to align our purpose with God's purpose. I remember back when I was in elementary school, my parents both taught Sunday school at the church I grew up in. And not, they didn't just teach Sunday school, they were teaching the class I was in this one particular year. I really should remember it because I spent most of the time on the ground, sitting outside the door to the classroom, thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know if it was because my parents were teaching that I was such a goof-off in that class, but I was like the class clown, I was like making fun of the story, I was... I don't know, probably sniffing rubber cement, throwing stuff at people. I was just like, any, I was not paying attention to anything that was important in that class, the truth that they were trying to communicate. I was just more important about having fun right now 
uh, and dealing with whatever was funny or goofy at the time. So I spent most, I literally remember spending most of the time sitting on the concrete right outside these big red doors. Um, and they would come out, have you thought about it? Yes, I have. <laughs> thought about how I was going to do it again and again. And if my parents listen to this, I'm sorry, you guys should get extra crowns in heaven. Um, and I think most of us, we kind of go through life similarly though. There's a big picture of what God is doing, but yet we're so distracted by the tyranny of the urgent, the things that maybe aren't so important that we're pursuing, things that at the time may seem very important, but they're distractions to what God is truly doing. And so we miss that big picture. We miss the important things, just like I have no idea what, what my parents taught me that year. And I know they were good things about God and how I could have a relationship with Jesus and deepen that. And we can miss it. Our time is limited. We need to be sober-minded and self-controlled. But why? And that's really spelled out in 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Take things seriously for the sake of your prayers. Sounds kind of interesting that he would say for the sake of your prayers. But prayer really allows us to connect with God so that our purpose can become his purpose. That our purpose in life can align with what his purpose is. That's what prayer will do for us. It will allow us to connect with the God who can make that happen. And the truth is that we can go through life and we have a lot of freedom to pursue a lot of different things. And there's a lot of things that we pursue that, that really are, are, are not good or, or evil. They're just things, right? You know, I go to the store and I get milk for my wife. Is that good or bad? Well, it's probably good because if I come home without it, she's going to be a little frustrated. But um, it can also just be one of those other things that gets me through the day. I go through the whole day and I'm thinking about, you know, I got to get stuff at Fred Meyer's. I got to get uh, to work on time. I, I, oh, I got to, you know, it's going to snow soon. I better make sure the leaves are up before it snows and the grass is ready to go. I better, you know, feed the grass and make sure my snowblower is working. Um, all these things that I can, I can choose a lot of things. I can go kayaking uh, on a lake. I can, I can go hunting. I can get on my, a four-wheeler. I wouldn't say my four-wheeler. I don't own a four-wheeler, but so if, if you have one and you want to let me use it, I would love it. Um, <laughs> I dream of owning one someday. little tear shed right here. Just kidding. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24 says it like this. It says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. When we connect to God through prayer, we're going to narrow our focus to what's important. We're going to narrow our, our focus to what's important. And that really takes us to the second thing uh, that I see in this passage. And that's that true love is blind. Sort of. True love is blind, sort of. How many, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you are married? All right. How many of you are dating someone? I'm dating my wife. All you married people, you need to take notes. <laughs> Just use the opportunity to trick you. And if you're not married and you're not dating someone, continue listening anyways. I want to encourage you. You might pick up something that's really valuable here. So when my wife and I were dating... Uh, and we eventually got married. We were so in love. And we had this idea that we didn't just want to, like, kind of walk the same direction in life. We wanted to walk on the same road in life. We wanted to do everything together, hold hands, be on that same path. Whatever we pursued, we pursued together. Whether it was, like, recreational stuff or whether it was, like, you know, work or anything. It was, like, together, right? So we got married. Everything was bliss. Like, I, she could do no wrong in my eyes because I was in love with her, and I know I could do no wrong in her eyes, and that's, that, that holds true today. So anyway, we got married. Thank you. It's, yeah. <laughs> so we got married, and I remember, you know, after a little, just within the first week, I want to say, 
I walk into the bathroom, and next to the sink is this toothpaste tube that is just knotted up. It is just like somebody has ringed that thing to death, and it is laying there. And I'm like, somebody broke into our house and ruined our toothpaste tube because my wife would never do this. So I straighten it back out like a good person would. The only way you're supposed to squeeze toothpaste, by the way, is from the bottom all the way to the front perfectly until you get to the point where you can roll it to get every little bit out. Never spilling a drop of toothpaste, right? I guess toothpaste can't really drop, but a little bit of toothpaste. All right, so I, I fixed it, just thinking maybe she was in a hurry. Maybe she just, you know, was sick. I don't know. So put it back on the counter. I came back, and you guys, every day it was like this for weeks, right? This is, you could see the torture that I was under. And I'm like trying to reevaluate, you know, the relationship at this point. It was hard. And, you know, the only thing that really brought any resolution to that situation was realizing that I love my wife more than I cared about toothpaste. Because I'm definitely a correct user of toothpaste. <laughs> my wife has room to grow in this area. If you squeeze it from the middle, you guys, it's going to go both directions. It's, you're wasting energy. It's just, it's not even efficient. And then you got it all trapped at one end. Once you, once you ring that thing, it's, you're, it's ruined. It's going to leak. I'm just, and now I, got, now I got five girls at home. Guess what that toothpaste tube looks like now? It's like, there's toothpaste on the ceiling. I'm in trouble. But I was willing to overlook the toothpaste because I love my wife. And God is calling us to overlook the, flaw, the, the faults, the flaws, the hurts, the ugliness in other people because we care about them. He overlooked those things in us, and he's asking us to do the very same thing in other people. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We're being called to do the ver exactly the same thing. And that's what it means when it says covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't pretend that it doesn't exist. It makes a choice to care anyway, and to show grace and love and mercy in spite of what you see. True love also, it doesn't, what it doesn't mean also is that if I am really loving towards other people, it says love covers a multitude of sin, it doesn't mean that if I love a lot of other people around me that God's going to forgive my sin. That's the whole reason Jesus came to die. He came to live on this earth, he died and was ro uh, raised from the dead for our sins. So that's what that means. But love covers a multitude, sin, uh, multitude of sins does not mean that. But it also means that true love speaks, uh, uh, or love speaks truth uh, to us, gently and kindly. Uh, back when I was in Denver, Colorado, I had just um, gotten out of seminary. My first official paid youth pastor position was in Denver, Colorado. And it was at a church that had no senior pastor. So we had me, the youth pastor, at, who was fresh out of school, and we had a worship pastor, um, and they had guest speakers coming in and doing things. But uh, Denver Seminary is up there, and they had uh, a professor there who took on three to four guys each year, very limited number of guys, and he would mentor them personally, uh, Harold Westing. I still remember him. And so he agreed to take uh, me on as one of his uh, mentorees, and I was really honored by the, the fact he would do that. So we met as a group twice a month, and then once a month, I got to meet with him personally. And so we'd meet at different restaurants around town. Well, the first two times we met, I was a little bit late uh, to the meeting, like, you know, a couple of minutes, like literally two minutes or three or four minutes. The third time, I was about 15, 20 minutes late, and I remember walking in, and he didn't say anything, but when I walked in that third time, he got up, he was waiting at the restaurant, um, not at a table, he was waiting at the front, and we said hi, it was very pleasant, 
and he, we, he dearly cared about me, but he was also cared enough to speak truth in my life. He said, do you know what it communicates when you're late to somebody? It communicates that you don't respect them enough to be on time. You don't value their time. And then he said, we're not going to meet again until you can be on time. And he, he goes, have a great day. And he left. And I'm standing there like, what? Do you know what I am with, uh, with regard to meeting now? Uh, time early, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it made an impact in my life. So if I'm late to something, there's a really good reason I'm late. Um, it, he cared enough about me, and we continued in that relationship. It was, that was, I, I, I look back at that as a very sweet time, uh, even though it was hard for me to hear because of my pride, but it was true. He spoke truth to me. Um, that was genuine love. Um, and it, ultimately what it did was it, it, it also covered... Um, it, it kept me away from offending other people in my life. So it kept me away from multitude of sin. Um, so that's what it's talking about here. True love does these things. So if you're wondering kind of like how my wife and I, you know, you know it's probably still on your mind. It's still kind of in, on my mind. How we really came to a resolution in the toothpaste issue um, was we, we just bought two separate tubes. That's what we do. Mine actually says dad on the side and I hide it. I, I hid it for a while. We had the same tube, but that didn't work. So we had to buy two separate tubes. So if you're single, take note. If you're struggling with this issue in your marriage, uh, buy two tubes. It, it just saves a lot of grief. Um, that brings me to the third thing. Our obedience allows the light of Jesus to shine in the darkness. Our obedience allows the light of Jesus to shine in the darkness. So this uh, past 4th of July, um, they have the Chugiak Candy Parade. You guys gone up to the Chugiak Candy Parade and had people chuck candy at you? Um, if you're a kid, you need to beg your parents to go next year because you get tons of candy. It's awesome. Um, so I didn't get to go the year before. Um, I don't know what I was doing, but I didn't get to go. My kids got to go, and they said it was awesome. So this year we decided, um, I have a camouflage Jeep. We decided uh, we we're going to polish it up, and we mounted an American flag on We're going to be in the parade, and we're going to throw candy out to people. So we went to Costco, got tons of candy. I spent a day, like, prepping the Jeep. They helped me hang the big flag on the back. And my girls, my, my wife just did them up awesome. Like they did their hair. They had red, white, and blue matching dresses. They were super excited. Four of them in my Jeep with me. So we leave the house, get about two miles. We're almost to the parade uh, before the start of it. And my Jeep dies. So I have to pull off to the side of the road. And so already it just, it dies and it, it like backfired as it died. So I had one kid who's like in tears because um, she's scared to death. And then I'm like, you know, hood up. I'm trying to figure out, it's got to be something simple. It was running just a second ago. It's not running now. I'm, you know, get, I'm frustrated and, and, you know, kind of going to a dark place in my life. And my other kids are stressed out. One kid's trying to encourage the others, but she's just ticking them off. So it's really awesome. Um, and this dude pulls up in a truck behind me. And it turns out he's a believer. Um, and he's like, hey, I can give you a ride home. Or I can tow you home if you need me to. And I'm like, at first, like, nah, nah, nah. You know, I'm just like still trying to, like, I can, I can fix this. Well, it became apparent it wasn't going to start. So... Uh, he towed me home. It turns out he's a believer, and he just felt like, he said, sorry on the side of the road, it was your girls and everything. He just felt like God said he needed to, to offer a ride home. So he towed me home, and then my wife came and got us. We went, and we got tons of candy at the parade. So that turned out okay. They, they recovered. Um, they're not scarred for life. But what I realized was, thinking back, his obedience to the Spirit of God, to God's plan, brought light into my dark world right there. Like, it encouraged me, and it changed my whole attitude because I realized somebody I didn't know stopped because they were obeying God. And they took care of a need that I really, at that time, I knew I had that need, I was just denying it. But he took care of it. So he brought light to my darkness. First Peter, uh, 4, uh, Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality literally means the love of strangers. 
to show kindness or love towards a stranger, someone we don't know, exactly what this guy did. And so I scoured the Bible, and I wanted to look for an illustration from Scripture about how important hospitality is to God. And so I found uh, this example. The nation of Israel was slaves in Egypt, and God had brought them out to worship him in the desert. So now there's millions of these Israelites in the middle of the desert, and they're moving towards what we call the promised land, a land that God said, an area of of, of land that God said, I will give it to you. Uh, It's your possession. So they were going that way. Well, they get to the, almost the edge of it, and there's one piece of land between them and what would be called the promised land. And the only thing between them is an area controlled by a group of people called the Amorites. And the king named Sihon uh, oversaw that area. And so the Israelites sent some envoys in to talk with the king. And they said, hey, we want to cross your land. We won't look to the right or to the left. We're not going to touch your fields. We don't want anything from you. We're not going to hurt you. We just want passage through your land. And the king came back and said, no. So then, so he had no hospitality whatsoever. He was, I'm sure, kind of scared when you get a few million people sitting on your border wanting to go through your land. You're thinking this isn't going to end good. But he decides to say no. Not only that, he cons- conspires with an adjacent uh, ruler, uh, the, the Moabites, the people of the Moabites, to try to hire a spiritist, um, a prophet named Balaam, to come and curse the nation. Not only does he like say, no, you can't come in. Now he wants God to, or he wants this guy to come curse them so that they will have nothing but bad luck. And so he brings this guy in, pays him a lot of money, and three times the guy um, is told by God to give nothing but blessing to the nation of Israel. So he does. So Balaam gives blessing. It really ticks off the king. Um, It causes problems with the nation of Israel long term. And the response that God gives is kind of interesting because we find out later that when he's setting up rules for the worship of Israel and their nation, he specifically excludes the Amorites from being able to come into the, the temple to worship in community. That's how serious God takes hospitality. You, didn't, you weren't hospitable to my people? You're out. Does that mean that anyone descended from the Amorites is out of God's kingdom? No, because Jesus Christ can forgive anything. So, um, but it was specific for the worship in the temple. And I think that it's interesting that without grumbling is thrown onto the, the end of this scripture. Have you ever read, read the Bible and you're reading along and you feel like God penned that just for you? That's how I felt when I read without grumbling. And the reason is my natural like love language, the way I express care and concern for people is, is to serve, is to, to do behind the scenes things that build up, whether it's an organization, a household, a person. I like to serve people and they don't even realize they're being served. I like to help out when I can. I love to show hospitality. But I'll be honest with you, there's times when I'm divided because I love doing that, but I wish I was somewhere else doing something else. And maybe you're the, maybe you're the same. Maybe I don't say it. I would never say it to you, but there's times when I'm serving, and in my heart I'm like, I don't want to be doing this. I want to be like at home with my kids, or I want to be fishing, or whatever. Um, and that's just the truth. I have this divided heart. And so when I read without grumbling, it hits me really hard. Because God wants us to not only extend hospitality to strangers, but God wants us to do it with a clean heart, a passionate heart for that. So he wants our, our heart not to be divided, to be lined up properly. Um, we've been going through, uh, going back to uh, chapter 2 of Philippians during this series. And we've been going to the first part where it really talks about emulating Christ's example as a servant. He came 
not to be served, even though that's what he deserves. He came to serve. He came to serve us. And so we're going to look a little bit later in chapter 2, in verse 14 and 15, and it talks directly to this issue. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. When we serve without grumbling in our hearts, we get to shine the light of Jesus into a dark place in our world. And that's pretty incredible. At ACF, we say uh, one of our, our, our core values, our goals in life, is to amplify the grace of Jesus to the church, the unchurched, and the dechurched. And when we serve with a, with a whole heart, a passionate heart, other people, we can turn an ordinary opportunity to serve into a supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ. That's the power of that. An example that, that I thought about that we as a church are engaged in. Uh, if you remember back at Easter, we introduced um, some ladies from Highland Correctional Facility that uh, were able to come out of the facility and be at church with ACF, be part of our community for the day. And then we, we told you a little bit more about that in the coming weeks. And I just want to give you a quick update uh, because this is really what I think at the heart of the issue is this is hospitality. This is serving people we don't know with, with a pure heart because we want them to experience the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Uh, we are in the process of vetting uh, our first group of, of people from our church who will be able to go into the prison and pick them up and then have them join us here on Sunday mornings. And that's going to happen uh, in, a, in a, hopefully the next few weeks. Uh, so we're still working through the red tape, but it's happening, and I'm excited. And it's because ACF extends hospitality all over the place. So thank you, guys. Yeah. Clap. The fourth thing that I see in this passage that I want us to talk about this morning, or I see it's important in this passage, is we don't own what we think we own. We don't own what we think we own. And I, you know, I thought about, like, what do I own? If you ask me, what do you own, Stuart? Well, I own my house. And then I, I kind of th stopped for a second and went, well, I co-own it with my silent investor, Wells Fargo. Um, so I, maybe, I own a, maybe I own the bathroom at this point. You know, I'm not, maybe a little bit of the garage, I hope. My car. I own my car. You're right, I got a truck. I, I own my truck. Um, I own the food in my refrigerator, right? Clothes that are hanging in my closet, I own those, I'm pretty sure. Um, I got a snowblower, I'm excited. Got one off Facebook. Um, that's a whole other God thing story. Got it free and it works great, so I'm happy. I own the clothes I'm wearing. My shoes, my shirt. Not sure about this shirt. I got this from uh, Wendy in the First Impressions. I don't know if she's going to want it back someday, but um, I'm going to keep it. I'm just going to go ahead and claim it, it's mine. But the reality is, do I really own, do I really own these things? Um, in this passage, it says that we, we have received gifts by God's manifold grace. We have received gifts by God's manifold grace. And the word in Greek, which is the language this was written in originally, for gifts and grace are the same word. They're the same root word. There's slight differences. One is charis, uh, charis and the other is charisma. But they're the same word. They mean the same thing. So the very fact that we have things, we have gifts from God, we have talents, we have abilities, we have special spiritual gifts, we have stuff, we have a bank account, a car, a house, all those things are demonstrations of God's grace to you. He is being gracious to us. And those gifts are for the benefit of other people. We're going to find out here in just a second. What that really means, if you think about it for a minute, and this is where 
this is where maybe the sermon gets a little hard-hitting. Um, you have a house so that others can benefit from it and that they will know God. You have a car so that other people will benefit from it and know God. You have a four-wheeler so that you can let me borrow it. And I can... <laughs> You have a four-wheeler, a cabin, you have food in your refrigerator, you have clothes so that other people will benefit from them and know God. Like a cherry bomb, this is kind of the, I'm going to tell you the cherry bomb of this, of this passage. If we understood this and applied it, this would have an unbelievably huge impact in our community and in our world. This one simple truth. You have been given so that others can receive. You have been given so that other people can receive. I'm going to read kind of the second half of our passage here. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God provide, or supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, this past spring, when it was a day that it was snowing like crazy, the wind was whipping, um, the snow was pounding, um, I had already agreed with another guy from ACF to help someone else that uh, attends ACF move from Anchorage to Wasilla. And it was like, I always pick like the worst days in the world to go do stuff outside. Um, it was just nasty weather. But if you're from Alaska, I'm not. But if you're from Alaska, you're probably going, eh, it's just normal weather. But for me, from Tucson, it was like insane. I could hardly see. It was pretty much, and especially in Wasilla with the winds, you could hardly see anything. So we packed up all this stuff. We got it all the way up to Wasilla. And the house that we were moving into, the house next door was owned by someone from ACF. Um, so we, I parked in that driveway next door. And we were moving, they had a U-Haul. So we unloaded, went over and unloaded the U-Haul truck into the house. Well, then we had to come around and start unloading my truck. Well, right before that happened, a GCI truck came down the street, turned the corner, and you could hardly see the street anyway, but he slid over and went into the ditch literally in front of the house that we were moving in. Um, and so, like the good Christian that I am, I, I knew that God was prompting me to do something, and so I completely ignored him, having to walk right by his truck to go get stuff out of my truck now to put into this house. I just pretended like it never happened, thinking, well, that's his problem. He's got a radio. He can get it fixed. I'm already helping God, so I don't need to help anybody. Knowing that I have a big diesel truck and a tow strap, but I didn't want to get involved. So I just, I just kept my head down because I, I wanted to get home to my kids, all good motives. I really wanted to get home and just be with my family. I wanted to help this person finish. I didn't want to interrupt that process. All good reasons. I, I justified good behavior, right? So this is what unfolded. So as we're carrying boxes by this truck, another GCI truck comes over. Obviously, he had radioed for help. Another GCI truck comes up. They don't have a tow strap, so they're literally, the first time they tied a one strand of coax cable between the trucks, and it just like, bing! And so then, so then they got smarter, and they did like, you know, 10 or 20 like strands between them, and it just shredded. They weren't moving the truck. And so finally, it just, I, I couldn't resist anymore. I, I went up. Everything against me, you know, inside me said, don't do it. Although the spirit I know was saying do it. I said, yeah, I really wanted to help a lot. So I go, I have a toe strap if you want to borrow it. Um, so they're like, that would be awesome. So I, I go and, you know, out of my way. And I had to get a toe strap out of my truck and hand it to him. 
so bad. They hooked it up, and the truck they were trying to pull out was two-wheel drive, so they had no success whatsoever in pulling this truck out. No one got hurt, by the way, so it wasn't like an accident scene. It was just like someone bumped off the road. Um, I'm trying to justify all this in my head. So I'm watching this fail miserably, and it's kind of funny watching the, the tow vehicle just go back side to side and almost getting stuck itself. And so finally I'm like, all right, I can't, I can't not do something. So I go up and go, you know, I got a truck. I can try to help you pull out. Um, so I, I pull my truck out, attach the strap, and literally within two minutes we had the truck out, and they were like, thank you so much, it's awesome. And they were driving away. And I'm thinking in my mind, why wasn't I doing that to start with? But then it hit me as I'm preparing for this message. Like, I look back and I go, God gave me the tow strap. It happened to be in my truck. He gave me my truck, and he put me in that situation so that I could be a light and a blessing to the GCI driver that day. And I almost missed it because of my selfishness, because of my busyness. I was already serving. I had a family to get home to. The weather was horrible. I didn't want to be outside in that. I almost missed the chance to allow God to use me to shine light into a dark place, to bless that driver because of my selfishness and pride. In Psalm 50, um, verse 10, 10 through 12, and it may be a familiar passage, but I want to look at it for just a second as it relates to our, our talk here this morning. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. This is God talking. And I know if I went hunting last weekend, and I know a lot of people are hunting this weekend, and this is, I don't know, I'm probably the first person to like be trying to find animals and praying to God like, hey God. You say in the Psalms that you have a cattle on a thousand hills. Like, could I have one? Just one? Um, pretty common. But you know, guys, this passage is so much deeper than, than cattle on a thousand hills. I, want, I, want, I don't want to miss that last line. In verse 12, it says, If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. God says, there's nothing that you have, you own nothing to give me. So if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you because you wouldn't have anything to give me because it's mine already because he owns the world and everything in it our houses our cars our clothes our bank accounts our talents our abilities the very jobs that we have our families everything they're all his the other thing I know is that there's not a single follower of Jesus Christ in this room today or anywhere that hasn't been given at least one special gift to enjoy, to feel the love and the grace of God, and to bless other people with. We all have at least one. So how should we re respond to this small cherry bomb that we see in, in 1 Peter 4? How should we respond to know how we should serve others? how we should love deeply. Whether we're rich or poor, whether we think we're talented or not, whether we think we, we know what our spiritual gift is or not, I think we should spend some time praying so that we can align our vision and our purpose up with God so that what we are doing is what he's doing. And then we should ask ourselves, what has he given me? Where has he positioned me so that I can have impact towards that vision? And, and just under a month, on October 1st, we are going to go back out to what we call Impact Eagle River. And that's where we, if you 
new to our ACF and you're not sure what that is, once a year, as a, a church community, we meet on a Sunday morning, so we'll meet on October 1st. And instead of having church official, we are gonna go outside these walls. We'll go break up into teams. We'll have different places that we'll go and tasks that we'll do. And what we're gonna be really doing is shining the light of Jesus Christ into our community. Because we love Eagle River, we love people, and we know that God is moving here and we wanna be a part of it. And your gifts and your talents and your abilities will play a huge part of that. We need you to be a part of that, to make that uh, a success, to make that worthwhile uh, for Jesus Christ. You're gonna hear more about that in the coming weeks. You'll have opportunity to sign up uh, starting next week. Um, but I just wanted to tell you that that's one way that you can put into practice some of the things that we talked about today. But I wanna remind you, life, life and time is short. We need to focus on what God is focusing on. We do that by connecting with him through prayer so that we can be about shining that light into a dark place. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are a thankful people, Lord. We are thankful that you have given us so much. We are thankful, Lord, that you have shown your grace to us. Lord, when we offended you, you looked past it and you, you died for us anyway because you wanted a relationship with us. You wanted us to be restored in relationship with the God who created us. Lord, we have that opportunity through Jesus Christ. But Lord, not just us. Lord, we want everybody to have that same opportunity. And so Lord, I pray that through us, we would connect with what you are doing here in Eagle River and in Alaska and around the world, Lord, and that we would put forth effort to be that light in a dark place so that people could see the light of Jesus Christ. They could feel that freedom that we have experienced. And Lord, I pray that above all, your name would be praised. Lord, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You have a great day.